All righty, folks, welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan and Sean. And uh, well, this is our first podcast recording since the finish of the Iditarod. And uh, oh, man, it's been a wild like last two or three weeks, wouldn't you say, Sean? Yeah, it has. That was really fun doing all this, uh, doing all that coverage with you. And uh, and then, you know, life I've been working pretty hard here the last uh, week or two, and and then I'm like, oh, you know, we don't have to put out an episode right now, right? And then you're like, oh, let's do it tomorrow, and then you can't do it. So it's been it's nice to just press record and and put something out there um, because it's been a while. But yeah, uh, it's sunny. It's sunny up here in Alaska. It's pretty sick. Yeah, my tell, spring. Me, tell me about things there in Anchorage. What's going on? Oh, uh, it's, you know, in the thirties and you know, the sun is, was, is bright and shining in my face at, you know, eight in the morning, eight 30. Yeah. I'm, I got my sunglasses on until about 9 PM. Uh, so it's been nice and I'm enjoying winter while I can. Uh, but I also am excited for some of that summer action, but we still, it's still winter in most of Alaska and you know, Anchorage is pretty far South. You doesn't not long, not long of a drive North before. I mean, Denali is not near as warm as it is here or Talkeetna or Fairbanks, but it is feeling like spring with all this sunlight. Certainly a lot of Epic Northern lights uh, here this month all around the state. I, I haven't seen that many, but I like to sleep at night mostly, but, uh, you know, yeah, you see all the photos and stuff. So it's been a good month for people visiting, hoping to see Northern lights. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I can attest that Northern light watching is, uh, it's both amazing and fun when it happens, but it's also can be a little bit disappointing and lose a lot of sleep if you stay up late looking for it and don't get it. So, um, mm-hmm. so I can understand as busy as we've been, you being like, all right, I'm, uh, I'm going to take some Z's tonight. So for sure. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, first of all, any, any of you guys that have been listening to us for a while now, I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, we like, we're getting pretty consistent with podcasts and then Sean went on a trip and then, we get back and then now we're doing YouTube videos, but there's not too much coming out on the, on the podcast side of things. And, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to, once you get something set up on YouTube to just press record and get it out there and then like taking it back and then getting it on, on other platforms can be another process just to add to the plate of, of, uh, you know, we, I don't think Sean and I are like that into like doing crazy processes all the time. So <laughs> we want to keep it simple here. So, you know, we appreciate your patience, I guess is what I'm saying. And, um, you know, I think that now that the Iditarod's over, we are primarily going to be shifting to podcasts, not necessarily only, but like this is going to be our main thing. And then, depending on the circumstances um, and the guest, you know, we might try to record that and have video available on YouTube as well. But um, 
it's not like we're going to be doing those videos um like throughout the year or anything like that but uh we appreciate your patience is all i'm saying i know that it's kind of been on and off and now that the race is done we'll be back to this primarily um i don't know if you have anything you want to add on that sean yeah actually it's really important uh firstly um uh yeah thank you to the people that are listening and uh you know tell your friends tell tell whoever you know that wants to listen to me stutter and to brendan um saying all right all righty all righty folks um but uh <laughs> dude i this sun's coming out and i just feel like and i've been seriously considering just cutting my hair and uh shaving my beard but then literally honestly the thing that holds me back is like well if i run i did a rod again i don't want to have i want to have best hair i want to beat beat eddie you know <laughs> and so i'm like well i guess i can't cut my hair you know it's literally on that level of desire that i you know i might be right trying to run i did a rod for the wrong reasons i want to win best hair again and that's you know so i can't i can't cut my hair i want to but i'm trapped you know i'm just trapped but man maybe one day i'll just show up clean shaven get like you know most of the top off and what would you think i mean like do you remember do you remember who i was i I, i'm still in i'm still underneath all this you know i'm still here dude uh there are some great pictures that i was looking at actually recently during some of my visits to college of you and uh it's just like you're baby faced and you have short hair kind of like comb over but kind of like shaggy and just i'm like man that is a different that is a boy there and this is a man now so a man he's a, a manly man. man that is it so um so yeah yeah well um before we i, I kind of want to break talk a little bit more about the iditarod just kind of like finalize things but I know that you said something about you were listening to another podcast. Who, first of all, why you're listening to any other podcast but <laughs> our own is beyond yeah. me. But Dude, actually, what I like to do when I go to bed at night is just turn on recordings of my voice saying <laughs> things. And I'd be like, wow, that guy sounds unbelievable. And so I just listen to him being me. And that's how I fall asleep every night. Um, so you can tell my ego is pretty small. But, you know, I don't, if anyone else has anything to say, I don't want to hear it. I just want to hear what I have to say. But in this one circumstance, I unfortunately had to listen to someone else's podcast. And it was cool. I was we were flipping through the radio at work. You know, we're driving to the glacier. Uh, it's a two hour drive one way to go to the glacier. Then I walk people around and then I come back to Anchorage and it's a it's about a 10 or 11 hour day. And so sometimes we just turn the radio on. And we were listening to KNBA uh, here in Alaska, local radio station. And they were playing this interview and I didn't really know who was talking, but I was like, I don't know. Sometimes I find like listening to like the local, you know, or just like listening to NPR. I'm like, I can only listen so long before I'm kind of like, all right. I'm good. And uh, so I was listening and I just hear this woman talking about dogs and I'm like, 
who's this lady talking about dogs? You know, what is she talking about training chihuahuas or something? What are we doing here? And I'm listening and she starts saying some things and I'm like, damn, all right. I'm turning up the volume. Like this lady knows what she's talking about, you know? And she started talking. The first thing I heard was her saying, like, look at it from a dog's perspective that like how they might be on top of the entire animal pyramid. They're literally like they have are worked their way into sleeping inside and getting fed every single meal and sleeping on the couch. And like, imagine being like a coyote wandering like through the suburbs at night, like, God, what am I going to eat tonight? I have no idea. And you see the, like this dog named Ralph staring at you through the window and you're like, what the hell did that coyote do to get inside of the house? Like, it's like, it's pretty crazy how good the dogs have it. And, you know, and, and we, what we think that the dogs need is different than what the dogs think that they need. And frankly, you know, most people have are overdoing it. You're like, you don't need the dog doesn't need to be on your bed and the dog doesn't need to be loved on seven hours a day, but you love your dog so much. You treat them like either your son or your daughter and you think, what would I want if I was a dog? Oh, I would want a nice place on the couch i would want to go on a one mile walk through the flat uh cement road you know that's what i would want to do i wouldn't want to do more than that right but reality is with the dogs this is what this woman was saying is what the dogs need is just a nice like a comfortable place to sleep and a couple meals a day and they're going to be pretty happy uh and and get some exercise right and i was like wow this woman's like knows the way to my heart. This is like, I'm loving this talk right now. And then she starts talking about, it's like, yeah, well, when I was running the Iditarod and I was like, wait a second, I didn't recognize this voice. This is Allie Zirkle. Sweet. So I've turned the volume up a couple more notches. And then she starts talking about her career, you know, running 19 Iditarods. She talking about how it, the bitter end to her career of having to scratch after finishing 18 straight Iditarods and always finding a way to get to the finish line, you know, she was like, I guess it really was time to hang it up. And, uh, and she just was like, everything she said, I was like, gosh, when I'm talking, like, that's what I'm trying to say, but I suck at saying it. And she's just so well-spoken. And on top of that, like most of her interviews, most of every musher's interviews are like either before the race, when, they're super like they got all these logistics on their mind. They got to figure out, oh, I need to pack this and this dog needs that for, you know, tomorrow. And this dog needs this and da 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 da. Oh, and now this person's taking a microphone in my face, like, hey, so how are you feeling about the race? And you're like, yeah, I feel great about it. It's going to be fun to get out there. Blah, 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 blah. Bye. And then you get interviewed during the race. You're sleep deprived. And by the way, the fact that like we get like any information from any musher during the Iditarod is 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 drastically undervalued like have you ever woken up from getting one hour of sleep and and then like tried to go about your day and then someone be like hey why don't you tell me how you doing you're just like all right you know and the fact that the musters are sitting there like yeah well the dog team's eating pretty well and 
I think the trail was a little bit, uh, a little tricky getting in here, a little slower than I would have liked. You know, that, that kind of information that they're telling you with one hour of sleep, it's just like the fact that you can even string a sentence together is insane. Okay. So now you got Allie Zirkel. She's just finished her final Iditarod, uh, or she, you know, participated in her final Iditarod, whatever. And now you're, this is fast forwarding. Now a full calendar year and then some. This was September 2022 that this was recorded. And she is, you know, been well rested. She's recovered from her concussion that she got on her on her crash at the end of her last race. And she's kind of fig- starting to figure out what is retirement going to look like. And she has a clear picture, clear head, and she just is in a really seemingly great place mentally and just Every word she used during that interview was just perfect. And um, I mean, this is a woman who arguably has one of the biggest fan bases in history of mushing and never even won an idea ride. Right. You know, and she's just is the perfect representation of mushing in the sport and um, the lifestyle. And it's an over an hour long interview. And she's pretty much the only one talking the whole time how it should be. And I loved it. And it was a year old, the interview almost, or okay, seven months old. And it still was like the, I was just loving every second of it. So do yourself a favor. Uh, I just posted it on our story on Mushing Alaska's Instagram page. But it's, uh, you know, if you Google episode 114, Life after dog mushing with Ali Zirkel. You'll find it. Um, I it's on some web a website called Podbean. I don't even know what the name of the podcast is yet. Um, so yeah, but you should give it a listen to because it's good good content, and I'm thankful for whoever did it. What some guy named Cody. Props to Cody. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, anytime you're listening to a musher, their interview, you know, from a couple years ago or anything like you can, you might be like, eh, they're talking about something that maybe I don't want to, they're talking about a race that I'm, you know, it's, it's already passed, but it sounds like, uh, in her case, as is the case with a lot of these, you know, uh, well-known mushers that have these bigger fan base they're very well uh versed you know like when we listen to dallas talk it's like the dude could talk for hours you talk your head head around in circles um jeff king he'll talk he'll talk to you about all sorts of different stories you know um so ali doesn't surprise me that an interview from two years ago or a year and a half ago or whatever you're still like oh this is this is i like this so it's funny how you were like, listen to it and you're like, who the hell is this? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> wait, uh, this is actually someone. Uh, yeah, Ali's pretty badass. <laughs> it's like funny because I've like started to realize before I knew it was Ali, I knew whoever it was knew what they were talking about. And so I was like, huh, like, you know, not very often. Do you hear that? Uh, there's, you know, somebody that's talking about dogs 
in the same mentality that I feel about dogs. Like I'm surprised it's not a musher. And then as soon as I thought that you realize, Oh, okay. It is a musher. It's Allie. So yeah, she's just really well. Every time I've heard her ever talk about mushing and the bigger picture, I've always just been like, wow, like what a great way to say it. Like the first time I heard her talk about mushing um, in a bigger picture was when I was ran 2020, I did a ride at the banquet and she, I guess she says this all the time, but I'd never heard it was that she feels bad for the dogs that don't get to go with her. Right. You know, don't feel bad for the dogs that are running a thousand miles. The, no, I feel bad for the dogs that are staying home and they don't get to go on this incredibly fun adventure. And she was talking about, you know, she raises these dogs. Literally, she's like sleeping in a sleeping bag next to their mother. Like when, when she's, you know, in her 24 hour window of having the puppies, like she's literally is with these dogs from the first second they're born and till they retire some cases she keeps the retired dogs and, and a lot of cases recent more recently she would rehome them because you can't just keep all your retired dogs uh they'd be happier you having that more personalized retirement life where you retire at seven years old you still got seven years to live as a dog ish why don't you go send them to new hampshire where they can go be spoiled and sleep on that couch that I was alluding to earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really, I had a thought that I started this freaking thing with, but I, I forgot what it was. <clears throat> well, you were talking about Allie and how she was saying that she feels bad for the dogs that she doesn't get oh, to yes, take yeah, right. on the race. Yeah. So she just, I just appreciate like, what a good way of putting it it's like this is all about going on an epic and fun adventure and you know you you learn through all that time you spend with the dogs and training them like what is reasonable to ask of them and what isn't and you know you kind of she's she's you she's getting close to that line and when she sees oh i might be about to cross it if i make this push or make to cut this rest she does she's like all right then i won't do it and you know and and uh she never because once you ask a dog to do something that's too much for the dog and they say nope i'm not doing that then it then you've immediately you've broken the trust and you might not ever get it back so that's what she was saying is like i never have ever broken that trust with a dog and you know, I never ask them to do something that um, they're not telling me in in whatever language it is, you know, that dogs speak to you. They do. They communicate so many things. They really do. Um, and she never would ask that extra thing of the dogs. They shoot. Hey, look, if it's not if you're not up to it, I'll, either A, I can send you home or B, we can. Well, at the whole team, let's just reel it in. And that's when you see her finishing deeper in the race and not finishing in second place. By the way, she came in second place twice. One of those times was the 2014 race that I've talked to you about before, Brendan. You know that? Um, this is the Jeff King incident or no? Yeah. no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. But there there was one where she didn't finish the race, right? And this one she did. So yeah, she finished the race. This is like 
when I Google Ali Zirkle interview, like I had to, that wasn't, I couldn't find this podcast. Okay. That's right. episode 114, Ali Zirkle, Life Retirement After Dog Mushroom. That's what the podcast is. Uh, but it also always comes up as 2014. So Jeff King, healthy lead in the Iditarod. Coastal storm happens. He literally gets a snow machine ride, scratches from the race. Meanwhile, Allie's made it to safety and she's shell shocked. This is the most insane storm I've ever been in. I don't want to, I'm going to wait. So she sees Jeff come in and she's like, huh, what's, uh, what's he doing here? And then, because I guess, I don't know if it, I don't remember exactly if Jeff scratched after safety or I think it was before safety, but Allie got in and she's like, I'm chilling. I'm waiting. This is too much. I'm going to hope for it dies down. Dallas is in third place. He doesn't know that Jeff just scratched and Allie's sitting in safety 20 miles from the finish line. So Dallas gets to safety. Has He just, he, I guess he didn't look at the sign up sheet or whatever. I've talked about this to Dallas personally. He's like, I genuinely did not know that I was passing Allie and Jeff. And so, so he, was he, he, so just to break this down for, people that don't know when you get to a checkpoint you have to sign sign in with someone and there is a, a clipboard that you literally sign your name and the person writes down the time you got there and stuff and so when you are on that board you can see who all has gone there before you and what their time was and how long far ahead of them you are so so what you're thinking that dallas was like so sleep deprived and just like at such at that point in the race you're so like physically spent that he just didn't register it is is that what you're like is that what you think happened there or what yeah maybe or maybe the checker didn't have the right clipboard that wasn't legible or also maybe it's blowing 70 miles an hour and he's just blindly signs the thing getting like let's go to the finish line and get the hell out of this Whatever the reason is, he wanted to get to the finish line and not stop and just get done, get it over with. So that's what he did. And then Allie peeked through the window and she saw that Dallas had uh, shown up and gone through. And she's like, oh, shit, let's race is on. Let's go. And so she got outside. She booted up her team and left and she almost caught the team. But didn't she lost by two minutes? Dallas, when he got to the finish line, had no idea that he had won, and everybody was cheering and cheering and going crazy. And he's like, "I mean, yeah, I got third place. Like people cheer for me, I guess. That's all right." And he uh, got that interview from Greg. Heister, like, hey, Dallas, you know, how does it feel? You just won the idea ride. And he's like, wait, what? Really? And there's like a, you can find that interview somewhere easily, I bet. And uh, so, yeah. And Dowie came in second place, two minutes behind them, got an even bigger cheer than Dallas, like, not like way bigger, way, like, he's like taking pictures, like, I won the idea ride. And then, like, all the cameras just kind of like left him and they went straight to Allie. You know, like that just says like how big she is, even though she didn't win. She she did, you know, two minutes and 22 seconds. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So she was that has to be such an interesting thing. Just think about that. Like she's 
she's in the mindset that she's chasing down Dallas. Meanwhile, Dallas is just like, I'm in third place. And so like he, he probably, yeah. being that he thought he was in third place, he probably was just like kind of taking his time. But I bet you he saw the headlamp behind okay, him. Okay, that's what and I, was I think ask. that he also maybe had someone like close to him that was he thought might have been in fourth place, and he didn't think it was Allie. You know, I think he thought it was like oh. Burnlasher or something behind him. And there's a whole there's, a, there's, there's his an, dad. That's his dad got third place that year. Okay, and then uh, um, there's a show on Netflix called Losers. Yeah, and there's an episode about this about Allie Zirkle. Yeah, that's really well done. It's on and it's on Netflix. So yeah, you guys uh, look up "Losers" and you can watch that episode with Ali Zirkel. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so just uh, you know, promoting some uh, other content for you guys to uh, check out if you haven't already heard that podcast interview with Ali or want to see that story more. Um, I think that that episode of Losers is really good that she's on and uh, they interviewed Jeff King in that as well. Um, I can't remember if Dallas is on that or not, but um, it's well done. You know, I hate that they, the damn name of the show is called Losers because <laughs> Allie doesn't deserve that next to her name. But but uh, they put it in like a positive spin on it. They don't like say like, yeah, it sucks to suck if you're Allie. You know, now they're right. like, oh. Like, yeah, she lost, but like, you know, she got this way bigger welcoming from the crowd. And, you know, she's got a huge, she, they didn't, and obviously it stung or whatever, but yeah. All right. So let's, uh, I got to go here on something for you before we talk a little bit about the Iditarod. And I'm hoping you can fill in the blanks. Um, I feel like I was watching one of the videos and on on the Iditarod website and there was like there was someone alluded to a crash between Jesse Holmes and I think it was Richie Deal that was like potentially could have been like life ending kind of thing does that ring a bell or I know it's I mean I know it's for sure Jesse I I might have gotten the the Richie Deal part of it wrong, but it, no, I know I it involves two mushrooms. It's not. Have you heard of Jesse Holmes' almost life-ending injury that he had this winter when uh, there was flooding at the village, the coastal village of Galvin, that's just next to White Mountain, and uh, him, Brent Sass, and Richie Beatty had uh, flown to Galvin to uh help with this terrible you know flooding and damage that had happened and in the process jesse holmes was inside of uh i guess an unstable building and it collapsed on top of him and brent sass literally saved his life and like you could hear he could hear the breath like leaving jesse's lungs uh he had cracked several ribs and was getting literally crushed and the clock was ticking and you know brent got in there and started just un- taking stuff off of him and i guess called for more help and you know so jesse views brent as the guy that literally saved his life got you and, and then, you know i don't know the richie, richie about it. is uh is that 
another musher that I'm just I'm, not familiar with. Yeah, Richie is an Iditarod and Yukon Quest uh, musher and lives near Denali in Cantwell. And, uh, you know, his um, his wife's Re- Emily Rosenblatt, she runs helps with the social media and all their content, which is awesome on um, on Instagram and, and all the other social platforms. I think they're, gosh, I can't remember the name of the, their kennel, but they have arguably the like best look, like just like the sexiest dogs, I think, in mushing, if, if you ask me. Um, I want, it's not, is, it, is it Richie Beatty? Yeah, you can look up. Uh, I'll look it up. Richie Beatty. But anyways, let's uh, not let there be too much yeah. dead space here. Wild Things Dog Mushing. There we go. There it is. Wild Things. That's a good follow. Um, yeah. On They're great on social media. So, but yeah, so... Uh, I just wanted to ask that because I had been watching some videos. I'd go, I was going back and like, I was like, man, I'm, I'm excited to kind of like go back and, you know, we, it becomes a blur when you're following the race and you're in the middle of it and you're looking at the top and who's going to win and rookie of the year race and, you know, all, all the different. Yeah. Yeah. You really get in the weeds there and it's hard to keep track of all these other not main not the main storyline. There's a lot of these little subplots going on. Yeah. So I, I made a couple of notes and uh, something that I wanted to go through. I told you one of these things earlier that really stood out to me. Essentially, I was just going back and looking at like how many times has a musher been in the race? What was their best performance before this? And just if there was anything that stood out. And so uh, and and Sean has corrected me on saying this name correctly, so hopefully it comes out correctly here. Ramy Smith, right? I got it. Mm-hmm. Ramy Smith. He got 19th place this year. And if you're not familiar with the Iditarod, and you know, Ramy Smith is like, oh, this this guy just came in like top 20, but kind of did it very quietly, I would say. I'm looking at the stats on this guy. So best performance was in 2011. He got second place. Okay. Not too shabby. He has done the race 27 times. First one back in 94. 12 top tens. Super impressive. Zero. Big fat zero on the scratches. Um, so that really just kind of stood out to me. I also remember you talking about him at the beginning of the race, you had run into him or you had heard him say something about how he had only, uh, run his dogs for like a total of a thousand miles or something. Yeah. Which by the way, training your dogs for a thousand miles used to be like the standard for running the Iditarod. Like, Oh, if you ran a thousand miles before the race with them, like total, you'll be just fine. Now it's considered to be like under mild uh, team. So what he did was he's like, all right, these guys are not in like the peak condition that that his team typically is in. Cause he literally started training like in December 
for this race in March. I mean, there's teams that are literally training right now for next year's Iditarod, you know, uh, it's, that's, you know, in a year. So, uh, most teams, September 1st is the first day of training. Um, and some teams have their dogs running all summer long at a shorter distances, or maybe they're on a glacier and they're, you know, really, really running, uh, some quality miles up on the glacier. So, for you to start your team at in December training is is not is a small window, and that's why he only had them run the amount of miles that he ran. Then you start the race, and you're like, "All right, I, I he knew immediately, I'm not going to win this thing. I'm not coming top five. I'm not coming top ten. These guys, we're just gonna. This isn't about that, you know. And so he ran a super conservative, um, you know, first half of at least of the race running short short runs medium rests and he was near the back of the pack pretty much most of the race and then we got to the coast and um or maybe he got kind of more to you'd say about halfway and he started to see all right my team is getting stronger and he basically like he started his training for the Iditarod like that first half of the race was part of the training and he just kept it manageable and within their capabilities given their um you know being slightly less physically conditioned than most teams tend to be so that takes some next level mushing skills and dog team management and he had like fast run times and by all accounts it looked like he had a really impressive 19th place finish all things considered yeah i just uh, i think that's crazy you know like 27 some of these mushers are busting their ass running what five times as many miles in a, leading up to the iditarod is that is that a um, no it's probably the high end is like four thousand um typically like the minimum would be like two thousand i would say miles um but it's not really about like the total quantity of miles as much as it is like the quality of the miles and, you know, how you broke them down, uh, you know, did you run? Um, it, it's not just as simple as total miles, I guess. It's like, are you running them like uh, uh, on an Iditarod kind of schedule, you know, mimic the first couple hundred miles of the race? Or was it, you know, you're running on the Denali Highway where it's a really easy, like, mellow trail typically? Are you running like these crazy technical hilly trails with wind? You know, like not all miles are created equally. And, you know, as training goes for any sport, you, you know, the quality of your training can vary. Outcome. Yep. Yeah. And it, it doesn't counting like how many the quantity of like t practices you've had or the quantity of miles you've ran isn't as important as the quality got you okay so that was one thing that stood out to me all right and then uh just kind of looking more over some of my notes uh i thought that uh just wanted to these these are just things that impressed me essentially so uh jesse royer quietly got 14th place we did not hear a lot from her during the race um just kind of looking back at her race history so she's gotten third place twice in 19 and 20. She has eight 
top tens. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, she has done the race 20 times, no scratches, Damn. and the worst she's ever gotten is 21st, and that was twice. So, so yeah, like that's impressive, dude. Unreal. Those are the two, by the way, senior, uh, not by age, but by experience. Um, mushers in the Iditarod. Uh, so they, those guys have were now that you have Boozer's not running it and Jeff King and um, all those you know, 90s Mitch. and early 2000s and Mitch and Lance and you know, those guys are not running it. Uh, now, Ramey Smith and Jesse Royer have taken the baton of being the senior mushers as, as far as experience goes. And then Jesse Royer, multiple times in multiple interviews, said she had 13 uh, rookie dogs out of her 14 uh, oh, that had never run the race unreal, before. Dude. And then one veteran dog. And then she considered herself as well a veteran dog, you could say. Um so, you know, yeah, 14th place. Oh, yeah, these it's, I love these kinds of finishes where you're like you she's not in it at all. You're not really paying attention. Okay, Jesse Royer is kind of slower race and then next thing you know, you look back on the race and you're like, "Wait a second. She got 14th place." Like that's a, by anyone's measure standards a badass and really well put together race. So, um yeah, kudos. Okay. Okay. So Keeping it on the track of uh, tenure here. Um, dude, the Barringtons are up next on the list. 14 attempts all consecutively, only one scratch being in 2020. Mm hmm. Um, Good for them there. Yeah, they're like super consistent and. You know, the, I think that, you know, their goals are not necessarily to win the race, but to just do the best you can with the team you got in front of you. And they're always going to be running together, at least. Well, I think that they were saying in the interview, actually, one of them ran a race before the other. Um, but, yeah, they always run together. So it's that does kind of limit what you can like, you know, when you're considering 28 dogs and how they're running and how their health is and how everything's going, it's a lot more to consider than if you're considering 14, obviously they're individually taking care of their own teams, but when you're running together, you know, you can just be, you gotta, your schedule, it has to be considered. You have to consider each other's schedules. So that's can be part of the reason maybe they don't finish a little bit higher, but I also can I mean, see them like breaking through any any next year. Even I thought maybe this year, you know, they could see them breaking through to the top fifteen. You know, they've got the dogs to do it, and they've certainly got the experience. I mean, but that's their mo. I mean, and maybe you know more than I do, but like at least as it relates to the Iditarod, they have from what I when looking at their history, it's always they're next to each other. And so it's like their their goal is always going to be to do the Iditarod, right? But, you know, it's like they want to have that experience together as sisters. And, 
a little bit less about the co co the competitiveness of it and more about the experience. And it's like their win is just they they win by doing it together and coming into the fin finish line together. Mm -hmm. is, is what that, is winning to you? Yep, exactly. Um, but I, I I do have to ask, like, do you do you think that they're having conversations amongst themselves that they're like, hey, Anna, let's do it this year. Let's try to like push it a little bit more. Or oh do yeah. You, do you think that is a mm -hmm. conversation among amongst them? Yeah, I think that's kind of what they were going for in 2020, and it didn't really work out super for them. Uh, they also had family issues, I think, that year. So there was other factors to consider just besides their dog team. Right. And uh, But, yeah, they've cleared, they've tried to kick it up a notch the last few years. And, you know, but you can plan to do it and – have intentions to be a little more competitive, but you know, once it cuts, comes race time, the execution, um, it's not as simple as just executing it. Right. You have, these are dogs, you know, they're not, it's not like it's you doing this. So, you know, if they're not up to it, they, they reel it in and they just like Allie does, she's always, except for her one accident and crash she had, which by the way, her accounting of the crash was like the crazy she like goes into detail about like alley circles crash but um yeah you know if they're not if you're seeing oh i'm not going to ask the docs to do more because they're you know not where they need to be and they're telling me that they're not up to it right now then they don't do it yeah and that's what that's what the barrington twins make sure of got you got you uh again we're not gonna be doing this for every single musher on the list but uh at least the people that have gotten like double digits in tenure so next up on the list pete kaiser um man this this dude is just uh he's got 14 in a row so just first things let me just read what's in front of me so obviously we know he won in 2019 he's got eight top tens He's got 14 races in a row, um, and he's only had one scratch. Um, so, you know, eight out of 14 races, top 10. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. He's um, super consistent and has incredible dog care. And, yeah, I mean, just like uh, I get just a great example, um, and he leads by example. I mean, so, so he's got, he's done it 14 times. So one of those was a scratch. So he's finished 13 times. Eight of those 13 are in the top 10. The other four are twice. He was 13th twice. He was 14th. And then his rookie year he's 28th. So it's, it's pretty steady. And uh, the one thing that I wanted to note on this one is like, before the before the uh, heck, when we started the doing the this podcast, not until right before the race, uh, what was it, like a month or two, was he actually in the race? And so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, he kind of signed up late. I bet you he's just kind of like wants to do this, but maybe he doesn't have the team or whatever. And boy, was I wrong, man. He had the team. He, I think he, I honestly think he could have won the race if he really wanted to stretches dogs more um yeah you, I don't know. It, you look at okay. it it's like he's done it 14 years in a row maybe he was kind of like all right i could use a break but like 
as he's getting into the season, he's like, oh man, these dogs really, these guys, these dogs are really freaking awesome, man. And uh, then it's just like, I got to do it, you know, especially after he won the uh, Cusco. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, I know I said a lot there and I know you have some, some responses. Yeah. Um, Well, he rested five hours in Elam and I think, you know, he was kind of conceding the race to Ryan. He almost ran three hours faster to Nome from White Mountain. And, you know, uh, he wasn't he wasn't really cl- close to catching up or anything. But, yeah, just like a really great dog management from him and um, gr- great representation of native Alaska. Same with Ryan. Ryan having they'd love to see top three teams you know that's the biggest headline top three teams in the race we're all native alaskans and uh that's huge that's huge and let's see the last i think on the list for tenure was oh no we got two more uh heck three more so 12 times is matt Thaler. And he was the uh, most improved this year. Um, but prior to this year, his best performance was an 18. That was 13th place. Uh, this is his first top 10 this year. And he's been doing it 12 years in a row. He had one scratch in 20 as well. So, uh, but last year he got 30th. So he went from 30th to 8th, which is how he got most improved. Um which I didn't realize is how they, they do it. Um, when I was thinking about, Oh, I wonder who's going to win most improved. What I did was I went back, I looked at all the mushers and then I, I looked at their best performance ever and I compared it to this year's performance. And, um, so 13th day was only five spots and there were some other people that had like seven and eight spots difference. Um, but when I did the research, uh, I realized that I was doing it wrong. So it's most improved is the last Iditarod that you finished in comparing it to this year's Iditarod. And so he went up 22 spots. Um, so he's done it 12 years and then Nick Petit has done it 12 years and Aaron Peck has done it for 10 years. So those are. Those are those folks. I didn't want to get we I didn't mean to get too lost in on all that, but I just thought that that was interesting. Some different points that just going back and looking at it and analyzing that kind of stood out to me. Yeah, that's uh, uh, some good beta there, some good stats from from you there. Um, and, you know, I was funny I, I as when I watched the interview of Deke Nacked and Born. Uh, I almost never say his last name because I know for a fact I can pronounce his first name perfectly. Deke. <laughs> uh, but he got uh, interviewed at the finish line like most people do. And his dogs were so loud that I literally, it was like hard to watch the interview because yeah. his dogs were so loud. And I, was I like, mean, even the, like- <laughs> even the interview, the woman uh she's like who who's that up there yipping you know yeah (laughs) so like that wasn't surprising that that led to him being 
considered the uh, winner of the Humanitarian Award, which is uh, for exemplary dog care. And I believe that you have to finish in the top 20 because, um, you know, you can have exemplary dog care. But if you finish in last place, it's kind of unfair to compare that to someone finishing at a more competitive schedule. So, uh, yeah, Deke, that's a I mean, that's got I, I, I saw his take on him winning that. And he's like, this is honestly like the most important award that in his eyes that you can win. And uh, to to be con- not to be considered the person that did best, you know, at the dog care and managing the dog team when you're considering yourself against these incredible dog mushers uh, that we've just listed and to have Deke be the guy that pulled that off. I mean, that's that's pretty special and uh i love i mad love respect to... from not from just from me and you but like in the mushing community you know you know that p kiger is like looking at deke like god damn bro you like you had a pretty sick looking team there at the finish line you deserve this you know yeah um i was gonna say that i loved he was asked about the hot weather and he was just like i didn't run i just didn't run i just i sat it out i waited it <laughs> and i think that goes a long way as to him why he got the award as well you know he he i think he was saying that he didn't feel comfortable running them in the hot heat because he, they he basically really didn't never ran that, between right? 11 a.m and 6 p.m for the first for those days you know 7 p.m he only he just like i don't care i'll sit here for seven eight hours right so, yeah, I mean, and he still finished 20th and it, he was very conservative during, you know, and it wasn't just hot for like a day or two. It was the first, what, three or four days of the race were pretty yeah. warm for race conditions. So um, props to Deke. We got to have Deke on, man. For I, sure. I want to I want to talk to him. He say, he sounds like such a nice guy. And uh, I hope we get a chance to talk to him. Were there any of the other awards that you wanted to go over or mention? Yeah, I mean, Rookie of the Year, of course, to Eddie, Eddie Burke. B. And uh, and then you have Most Improved Musher, we already mentioned, Matt Failure. And and then you got all the different places. You get a, a cash prize for any uh, top 20 position. You also get those prizes for, like, the first musher to, you know, McGrath, first musher to Iditara, first musher to the Yukon River, first musher to the Coast, first musher to White Mountain, first... Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I'll get there's all these awards and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, um, it must have been a fun time in Nome and and uh, you got Red Lantern to Jason Mackey, which, dude, he came in and he had, like, the ferocious goatee. Such a fun... It was, it was a fun interview. He... He's uh he's just like, dude, if you've competed or completed the Iditarod, you are one of the toughest people on the planet, you know, and he clearly had a pretty tough race and um he had uh, the five dog team, but they came in strong and uh he only had five dogs like for the last couple of runs. So um kudos to him and he's dude, his he said it, he said he like did you see why he, he said he left accidentally like dropped lance's ashes he, at, like yeah he was like leaving white mountain and it like fell out of his bag and he's like well looks like he's just gonna be in white mountain <laughs> so he just said that and he was like 
I will answer it. We'll be laughing at it anyways. Uh, but yeah, it was a, he was, he was feeling it himself and had a lot to say. Uh, and it was a light and like a really long interview. So it's a, it's a good watch. And you should obviously go and watch everybody's finishing video. Cause they're all just magical. And it's kind of weird to like, I don't know, you know, someone like Gerhardt, Piart, first guy from South Africa to finish the Iditarod. He got 50 miles from the finish line last year and had to scratch because of an epic windstorm. Ground blizzard gets to the finish line and, you know, pets his dogs. Hey, Gerhardt, how does it feel? And he's like, oh, it feels really good. He's like, what was the hardest part? He's like, well, every single run was pretty hard. It's like, all right, well, thanks, Gerhardt. You're like, <laughs> all right. It's like, that's the end of, like, that's your moment that you had all these years and all these thousands of hours of training for this. And it's funny how he's going to look back on that, that video and it's, it's like two or three minutes long. And that's, you know, there'll never be another video of him finishing the 2023. I did ride this first finish. There'll never be another video. And you just look at it. It's like, yep, there's your two minutes. And, uh, you know, you always kind of wish it was a little bit longer, but you only can do so much. Right. I was actually, uh, I, while you were talking there, I wanted to go back and look at uh, Jason's uh, Mackey's dog situation. So he left Koyuk with five. So he went about 220 miles with just five. And that, I, I think that's incredibly impressive. To, Those are some hills, by the way, I, between yeah, Koyuk right. and Elam and Elam and White Mountain. Yeah. And and then his, you know, from the get go, he was never trying to win the race. It was never a competitive race for him. He was just always trying to get to the finish line. He's essentially restarting his mushing career and kind of building it over again. So, uh, man, kudos to him. Uh, his, so you, uh, you were talking about his, watching his interview when he crossed the the line. I also watched his video uh, in the studio. It's like half an hour. That is a really uh, great listen, man. And it's funny because uh, I was telling Sean this. It's like Greg Heister's doing the interviews. And um, in, in, in a lot of the other ones, he's having to lead the conversation. He's, he's having to ask a lot of questions and try to get a lot of information out of the, the mushers. And in Jason's, I swear, I think in the 30 minutes, I think he maybe asked like five or six questions. And Jason is just like, he is hungry to talk. He's got great, uh, just a lot of really, really, um, I don't know. I just found it very interesting informative and interesting and he's talking about his race he's talking about his brother he's talking about his mother as well it was just a lot of a lot of emotions and you could tell it's it's really raw honestly so i definitely if you haven't seen that video i definitely think that it's worth checking out because that was a good one for sure yeah i think you know something that maybe it's good to end on if you I don't know how you're doing for time, Brennan, but is, uh, you know, the clarity that you experience um, when you go and spend a long time uh, by yourself and out in the wilderness, uh, just quietly going about your business. You know, I think uh, there's this guy that I follow on uh, Instagram. Uh, he's kind of corny sometimes. His name is Colin O'Brady and he always, and he's, he's, 
he encourages people to go go outside and go on a 12 hour walk. And uh, you go, it doesn't have to be that you walk 40 miles, you just could walk 10 miles and take a bunch of breaks, or less. And um, you don't really need to train for it. But like the clarity that you experience when you're outside alone, and you don't you're not listening to a pot silly podcaster, or you're not listening to music, you just you and your brain. And that's what all these mushers are doing for nine, 10, 11, 12 days in a row. And so when they get back, there's just like everything, everything's just clicking mentally. You're like, you just got your couple nights of good sleep. And I'm sure that you saw it in that interview. I haven't seen it, but I guarantee that's what was happening. It's just like Jason just had this really profound experience and you're just a couple days after it and it's just wow you know i feel like i can express myself so much better and i know exactly what i want and need now and i didn't before and that's like a great reason to you know always schedule time by yourself in the great outdoors at your local park and it's it's it'll, it'll you might find some answers yeah no i i for me, like I, I, it's easy in my life right now with work, with uh, a lot of the various responsibilities that I have going on. It's incredibly easy to get to five and six and seven o'clock and have spent minimal time outside. And what I've discovered myself is that I am usually pretty irritable if I get to five, six or seven o'clock at night and haven't like stepped outside and actually enjoyed being one with being outside and it's different like you're in alaska it's a whole nother but just for me i'm like the the clarity i get from just going on a, an hour-long walk with my son in the stroller is next level you add another 11 hours and doing it at your own pace and yeah and not listening to music or podcasts that sounds it sounds like it could be difficult for some, but uh, I think if you're in the right place, it would be pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, even if you're not in the right place, it, you'll be in the right place by the end of it. Exactly. exactly. <clears throat> um, well, I think that's a good place for us to like um, kind of leave with the Iditarod. Um, we can kind of wrap things up. I did want to at least briefly talk about the Cobuck 440. Um, you know, the Iditarod is over now and there can be a tendency to just move on and all right, we're looking forward to next year. And you've said it yourself, Sean, how sometimes you also fall off from kind of paying attention to any other races after that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I wanted to at least highlight the Cobuck 440. Um, that's pretty much like the last big event of the year mushing wise, at least here in the States that I'm aware of. I know you can talk about like the Finnmark slope it and all that. Um, but just looking at the list here of names we've, and, and uh, I have, I'm, I'm familiar with some of these folks, but maybe you have more information to provide on them. Uh, we've got er Martin early, Dempsey Ooh. Woods Jr. Or senior, excuse me, Hugh Neff, Laro Eklund, Jeff Dieter, Kevin Hansen, Jesse Downey, Michelle Phillips, 
and then Jesse Holmes and Jim Borkin. There's some sick names in there, dude. It's gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah, that's why Martin, Martin Early's running uh, Jeff King slash Amanda Otto's dogs. Uh, he's got a crazy story. He's uh, from New Zealand and uh, has had a really rough last year. Um, and this is a pretty amazing for him to get to the start line of this race. So, uh, and then, yeah, you know, Jesse Holmes is literally like ran his dogs in Nome like two days after the finish. You know, he's like training, training for the Kobuck. His dog team looked super strong at the finish. So they weren't really even ready for much of a break. Um, and then, yeah, Michelle Phillips, you know, she's uh, one of the best mushers on the planet. She didn't run this year, uh, the Iditarod, but um, she's, yeah, but she should be thirsty. And, uh, and then, yeah, there's, you know, the speed, the speedster, uh, Hugh Neff, he's, you know, he's going to be up front. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, this is going to be a competitive race. And then there's some, you know, some teams in there that are just kind of looking to get to the finish line. It sounds like, and, uh, it's always a lot of sun on this race. It can be, uh, you know, 15 hours of daylight and, uh, sometimes it's beautiful and a nice breeze and, you know, cool temps and other, there's been a year, I believe it was either last year or the year before where it was like a biblical storm they like had to like alter the race because it could literally people couldn't see their wheel dogs like that's, that's how they that's couldn't see the front of your sled <laughs> in the daylight that's wow. how crazy this ground storm was so yeah it'll be interesting to, to kind of just follow along on that we're not going to do any like live videos or anything for that but um we'll be paying attention we'll at least kind of uh make sure we talk about it and then that will kind of mostly wrap things up from like a mushing season standpoint, but we'll still be bringing you guys some, uh, some podcasts. We, we made a list of uh, some different mushers that we're going to be trying to have on. So we intend to do that for you guys. And um, the only thing I would say is if you guys have any questions for any of these mushers, please reach out to us. And, you know, we've got our Facebook page and Instagram, um, you know, even YouTube, you could go on one of our videos and comment. We have our, our email address is mushingalaskapodcast at gmail.com. We encourage you to send anything there. Um, but yeah, we would love to have more questions from the fans to either us answer or mushers answer. And so we encourage that. And, um, and yeah, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add before we close things down here. Uh, roll tad. No, I'm just kidding. Good dogs. <laughs> Jeez. About that. <laughs>